Welcome to the Life Lessons Podcast. I'm Jen Stevens. I'm a retired teacher, the author of several books, including the New York Times bestseller, Fast Feast Repeat, and I love nothing more than building community. And I'm Sherry Bullock. I've spent my life helping others through my work in healthcare and as a volunteer for various organizations. We are friends who share a love of learning, problem solving, and bringing people together. Each week, join us as we share inspiring stories and bring you new ideas designed to help you live your best life. So now let's learn something new, get inspired and have some fun. Everybody. We are so glad you're here today. Welcome to this week's episode of the Life Lessons Podcast. How are you doing today, Sherry? I'm doing great. My internet seems to be working today. So that's the highlight of my life right now. Absolutely. A hundred percent. When internet is not working and you depend on it for work, it is frustrating. Yes. You know, I've been there. So yes, yes, yes. Um, and let's see, I told you guys last week, we were kind of excited because Eric had this lead on this job. Well, it ended up being some kind of like bait and switch type thing. Oh, that's no good. That is like totally off the table. Um, like not even, not even going there. Well, which I'm going to, I'm going to say, I started like, you know, how when one thing changes and you're like, oh, now that's just going to change and that's going to change. Yeah. And I started thinking all these what ifs. Yes, I was catastrophizing a little bit. Like, we're not going to have a day off together anymore. And then we might have to move. And then I'd have to sell my house. And anyway, so it was kind of a relief when we found out that it was not what we thought it was. Well, that's good. Anyway. Glad for that things work out. Well, I've always said things work out exactly the way they're supposed to work out. Absolutely. I'm very good at when something doesn't follow, go through or doesn't work out, then I'm just like, okay, well, that's why it's supposed to be. Oh, that's yeah. I that. looking at something, some people that I used to teach with, like a girl I used to teach with has just been named an assistant principal at a school. And I remember when I applied to be an assistant principal and I didn't get the job and I was like, oh, because I always figured I would be like going down mm-hmm. the, you know, eventually I would work into administration because that's just what uh-huh. you think you're going to do. And that was like the greatest blessing of my life. Right. Because what I've had time to write to late on tonight, if I was an assistant principal, no, absolutely. Would I have not. had time to run Facebook groups? No. Would I know you? No. <laughs> I'd be like, maybe I'd be a principal. Maybe I'd be working at the board office. Oh my Lord. Yep. Thank you. Yep. God, universe, whoever, everyone, thank you for not letting me be assistant <laughs> well i know a lot of times people look at like missed opportunities and like years that are they're kind of like still thinking about that missed opportunity but my thing is if it was an opportunity that was for you it would have happened so well, I, don't really, I don't really believe in missed opportunities you know we're selling our house uh, we're under contract we haven't inspected we had some weird things with the inspection that were actually it was too cold for the air conditioner to come on the day he checked it so we had to go back up anyway it's all all is well but I start, I was starting to get freaked out and, you know, being like, what if these are just the right people? And I'm like, wait a minute, if these are the right people, if they're supposed to buy it, they will everything it. will work out. Yep. If they're not supposed to buy it, they won't buy it. So it's okay. Anyway, I calmed yep. down, but it's stressful. <laughs> Two weeks from yesterday is our closing date. So fingers awesome. Crossed. Yeah. Yay. 
Well, so this week we have a wonderful good news story. Um, I loved this so much. In fact, I saw this story and um, because our submission vault's a little low, I was like, I'm going to save this just in case I don't have something to share. And then somebody emailed me this story. So uh, Carrie from Michigan, you and I are on the same page, Carrie. So she wrote to us and she said, this event happened around the block for me. And I'm so very proud of this young man, even though I don't know him personally. So Dylan Reeves, a 13-year-old in Warren, Michigan, was on the school bus with his schoolmates heading home for the day after school. And the driver of the bus, she was not feeling well. And uh, she had just notified dispatch via her radio that she was going to have to pull over because she was not feeling well and she was feeling dizzy. And she asked that they send somebody to come get the kids. But moments later, after she radioed in, and there's actual video footage of this, she goes unconscious. Oh, wow. uh, While driving the bus down the road. So Dylan witnessed what happened, and he rushed to the front of the bus. He grabbed a hold of the steering wheel, uh, which was starting to verge into oncoming traffic. And he gently pressed his foot on the brake, bringing the bus to a stop without incident. He then hollered to the kids on the bus for somebody to call 911. And at one point, another child was arguing with him, but he persisted very calmly and just told them that they needed to call 911. And it was at that point that a person who was walking by boarded the bus and helped Dylan with the driver. Uh, While a woman in a car behind the bus, she came on board and helped the kids exit the bus from the rear emergency exit. Dylan was given an award for his heroic actions by the school board. When asked how he knew how to drive the bus, he simply said, I watched the bus driver do it every day. So thanks to Dylan's quick thinking, nobody was injured and the bus driver recovered from the incident. You know, that made me think about when I had bus duty every morning of my life as a teacher, I had morning bus duty. We had um, bus evacuation drills and we had those like in the fall and then we had them in the spring. And one of the things our students were trained to do is know how to dial 911. They knew where the bus driver kept his bus phone. Like every school bus driver in Columbia County, Georgia has a school issued cell phone and they keep it in a certain place on the bus. And so the kids know how to dial 911 in case. Wow. Yep. I did part of they it. did that. Yep. Because I remember asking those questions. All right. Who knows where? Yeah. And the, the kids all have to tell you, but that's part of the bus evacuation drill. They have to practice getting off the bus. They have to answer questions like, where's the fire extinguisher kept? And Yeah. Yes. Somebody, I don't remember in the article I read, it wasn't the one that she sent me. Somebody had said something about asking him how, like he really calmly pressed the brake pedal down. He didn't panic and just slam it down. They asked him about that. He said, well, he knew if he applied the brake too firmly, people could get hurt. And I mean, the video is just astonishing because this 13 year old kid is just calm, cool and collected. And he just walks up there and takes control of the situation. And so... Yeah, it was astounding. So listeners, we need your stories. Send your good news story to connect at lifelessonscommunity.com. We want to hear about companies that have given you exceptional customer service. Give a shout out to a special someone in your life. Tell us an amazing story or share anything that might be inspirational to fellow listeners. We look forward to hearing from you and sharing your good news in an upcoming episode. Before we get to the life lesson of the week, I want to take a minute to tell you about a company that helps make it possible for us to keep bringing you the podcast. So over the past few months, we've covered several topics that relate to health and wellness. And despite the varied focus of the discussion, 
we always circle back to one common lesson, eating and living clean in order to reduce our risk of disease and to keep our hormones in balance. I was a holdout on switching to clean beauty because one, I wasn't convinced that a few ounces of skincare and beauty products per week was really going to affect my health. And two, um, I dabbled in it a little and I just didn't really find the products effective or they made my face break out. Uh, But the more I learn and the more research I've done, the more I'm convinced that those few ounces of product that you use per week, they really do make a difference. Considering that I wash and I treat my face twice a day and I wear makeup more days than not, it's the repeated exposure to carcinogens and hormone disruptors over and over again that potentially build up in our systems. There's so much in life that is out of our control, but what we put on our skin is very much in our control. And for that reason, I am more glad than ever that I switched to Beauty Counter two and a half years ago. Not only do I know that I'm not doing harm to my body, but my skin has also never looked better. So if you want to check it out, go to beautycounter.com slash Sherry Bullock, or you can go to lifelessons.com slash beauty counter. And now it's time for our life lesson of the week. Did you know that approximately one out of two people worldwide will receive some sort of cancer diagnosis in their lifetime? And while that sounds scary, you don't have to leave your diagnosis and outcome to fate. Today, we are joined by Katrina Foe, a holistic nutritionist who works outside of traditional oncology using diet, lifestyle, and nutraceuticals to help women beat cancer and keep it from coming back. She is with us today to share the work she does and to share what you can do if you should receive this scary diagnosis. Well, hello, Katrina. It's so nice to have you here today. Hi, Jen. It's great to be here. So before we get into your background and your story, what is the lesson you hope to share with our listeners today? Yeah, the lesson that I would love to share is to know that cancer is not as scary as it's made out to be, that there are root cause drivers that you can test to see where you are health-wise. Well, that's huge because I think all of us just hear the word cancer and we are just scared immediately. And so to hear that we don't have to be as terrified as we probably all are is, is good to hear. Yeah, exactly. That's what I've walked through and what I've learned. And I'd love to share that with everybody else. Absolutely. I think being impact, I was just going to say, I think having the knowledge and some background information and even hope is really empowering. And when we feel empowered to do something about our situation, I just feel like it really helps our outcomes. Exactly. When people have some understanding of what they can do and and the power that they do have before getting a diagnosis, then they're not shuttled into the system with fear. They're making decisions that are based on, you know, oh, I can really think this through. I have options. Right. I'm not just rushed into it by, you have no idea. I'm just scared. Right. 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 And then you shut down because you just don't know what to think or do. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Well, just back up to like the beginning of your story. What brought you into this line of work? That's a great question. And it's a interesting, not very linear story. (laughs) So I uh, was, I had my fifth child and was nursing him and I had a mastitis plug doc thing. And I did what I usually do. And the golf ball size lump that was there did not resolve when the mastitis went away. 
But I thought that was weird, but I wasn't super concerned because yeah, I have a nursing mom. The breasts are, you know, changing constantly. But my mother was very concerned and my husband was concerned. My mother let me know then that, oh, by the way, your grandma had a double mastectomy. I think it was cancer. We're not really oh, sure. Gosh. Like, how do you not know? And she's like, well, she never told me. But why else would she have a double mastectomy? I'm like, well, clearly she had breast cancer. Um, so it was kind of an interesting situation that I hadn't known that before um, when I got that diagnosis and everything. So I already had had some health experiences where I had seen food do profound miracles and was already sold on natural treatments and, and alternative things. So I immediately went that route. But the big question that was on my mind was how in the world has this happened to me? Because we had already done, like I said, a lot of, you know, cleaning up of the diet and getting rid of the toxins. And in my opinion, we were already doing all the stuff. I mean, right. to the point where we moved two states to get some farm animals so we could raise our own meat. You know, that's, that's kind of crazy for most people's paradigm. Um, so I just put everything back on the table, like everything I knew. Clearly, I was doing something wrong, and I was determined to figure out what it was. I uh, went to a cancer center down in Mexico uh, because at the time, everything was saying raw vegan. Right. And I had read a whole bunch of stuff about them and their process and what they were doing. And I was asking, you know, why can't I eat salt? And why can I only have like a teaspoon of flaxseed oil a day? And, and why are you giving me thyroid medication when you haven't tested my thyroid? And they didn't really have any answers. And by the third day, the director came and sat me down. He said, Trina, you just need to trust in the process and stop asking questions or you need to leave. <laughs> That's I have been, not I have been well given that you. lecture before yeah. in my life. <laughs> I know as crazy questioners and I'm like, I looked at him, I'm like, I'm sorry, this is my life. Are you joking? Right. Like if you can't give me answers, goodbye. So right. I got kicked out of the cancer center. <laughs> so they need their set protocol and you were just supposed to follow it without yep. any uh, validation of like why you were supposed to follow it. Oh, and it was crazy. Cause I had like abruptly stopped nursing to go there. So I, you know, my, my boobs were getting bigger by the second and they're giving me, I have to have oatmeal. That's their standard breakfast. I'm like, if I have oatmeal, I'm going to explode. And they're like, you have to have the oatmeal. I'm like, <laughs> so at that point, after I got kicked out, I was just like total free fall. I felt completely alone. Like I didn't know what to do. I, 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 there were no answers. I, that my, what I was going to do to change things did not work out. And so my husband and I did a juice fast, which, um, by the end of it, I was going to eat him. I, I didn't realize how messed up blood sugars were until we did that. But during that time, I did a lot of research and found a doctor that worked functionally. She had addressed her own breast cancer naturally. And she started running all the functional tests, which the, the concept behind looking at what's going on and the testing really resonated with me. And I was really shocked by what we saw on the test. For me, like we had been doing a whole bunch of supplementation and things for our body, but I had never tested anything. And so like, for example, my vitamin D came back and it was in the trash. It was total bottom lined out. And been taking high doses of cod liver oil and things um, and eating lots of organ meats and stuff that I thought would keep that up. And it was nothing. 
But then the other genetic testing we did showed that I have genetic issues and I don't absorb that very well. So it was all starting to make sense. And I really was excited. I'm like, okay, I got this. I got all the tools. We're going to do this. And there were a whole bunch of areas that I had smoking guns I could work with. And then I went to a women's retreat. And the whole time I felt this deep impression that I needed to go home and be with my husband on Sunday night, which was not what I expected because I didn't really see God telling me when to have sex with my husband. (laughs) Right? So I kind of argued with him and said, hey, by the way, I just did another hormone test. And I don't think that that really is the time of month that I should be doing this because, oh, wait, I have cancer. People are kind of already pissed at me that I'm doing this naturally. If I get pregnant, they're going to be really mad. Um, but bottom line, I was, uh, we had fun on Sunday night and uh, I conceived baby number six. So then it was like this, oh no, now what do I do? How do I tell people this or, or not tell people? Like, what am I supposed to do? And I get very, very, very sick when I'm pregnant. Um, hyperemesis gravidarum. And so this was kind of a free fall. And I, we went to the Western Price Conference just to get away and just kind of have some alone time. And while we were there, there was a, a doctor, a man who I found out later was a doctor that was selling these magnetic bed pads. And I was waiting for my husband from a session. And I was talking to him and I said, Hey, you know, this, this is interesting. Is, is this safe during pregnancy? Great. I was like six weeks pregnant. So I wasn't showing or anything. And he said, yes, it's totally safe. The whole pregnancy, you know, it's just emitting that the ions, negative ions going up, just like the ground would. Um, I'm like, okay, well, this kind of makes sense. Like, how would this affect cancer? And he looks at me and he goes, well, pregnancy cures cancer. What? That's worth that. He started crying um, because he, I didn't say I had cancer. I didn't say I was pregnant. And he was just connecting those. And it turns out I have spoken with multiple alternative practitioners, experts in the cancer field that have said they have seen that happen where it's not necessarily a negative thing. Um, and these are people in different countries. Because um, I've always heard the opposite. Yes, that was what I was thinking. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I felt like I had just gotten a big hug. This is okay. We've got this. And so I just settled into like, I'll still keep doing the things that I can still do while I'm pregnant. But a lot of the stuff that I was doing, I had to stop in terms of like detox and things. Mm -hmm. And a month before I had the baby, that golf ball size lump was gone. Wow. I know, but that's not the end of the story. It gets better. So I had the baby, great home birth, nursed him for a year. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to just, you know, let's finish the work that I started. Let's finish that detox work. Let's finish addressing those areas that I saw that were screwed up. I connected back with my doctor and she said, Katrina, you should read Dr. Mercola's Feet for Fuel book. Mm-hmm. I'm familiar yeah. with that one. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I said, no, I'm like, no, that's dangerous. Like I, I keto, like that's scary. You're like getting rid of whole food groups. That's not healthy. And she's like, Katrina, read the book. <laughs> she also sent me Dr. Natasha Camel, or sorry, Dr. Nasha Winter's book, The Metabolic Approach to Cancer, who I now work with, which is such a, a cool paradigm. If anyone hasn't read that, it's a great book. But by the time I was done with Dr. Mercola's for fuel, I was doing a keto diet because it resonated so deeply and the science was there and it made sense. 
And what I didn't tell you at the beginning was that I was diagnosed with bipolar in my teens. I had been on medication, been inpatient even a week, and nothing had helped. And I didn't like being on the medications. And I had stopped them in my 20s before I even got married. Um, And then white knuckled it. And at that point, about three months into keto, I was feeling a lot better. But I didn't really want to say anything in case it was just a fluke or a temporary thing. And my husband was doing a like family worship thing and talking about like being joyful in all circumstances. And he was giving the example of some neighbors that had lost their house to a fire and how the community had gathered around them and rebuilt their house. And, and then my daughter pops in and she goes, well, like mom's cancer. And my husband kind of smiles like, okay, honey, what are you talking about? And she goes, well, if mom hadn't had cancer, she wouldn't have tried keto and now she's happy. Oh, wow. So it, it kind of went full the mouths of babes, right? No, and it still tears me up because it was it was not what I had seen. It wasn't what I was expecting, but it really was, you know, what I what I was wanting the answer to. That just takes us back to kids see everything that they do. Yeah. They Very see much. everything. And I, you know, like just hearing you say that, people are like, oh no, we're staying together because of the kids. You know what? Your kids see that you are desperately unhappy. Like you can't hide that your, your daughter sensed that your mood had changed in three months. That's like, yeah, absolutely. And she was only nine at the time. Wow. Yeah. And kids also don't know how to filter. Right. So they just say, they just say how they see it. So that's powerful. So we've all heard probably, I I assume everyone's heard it because I've heard it of course for years, you know, cancer feeds on sugar. Yes. And so is that why keto is such a powerful approach when you are, are diagnosed with cancer, you know, you're starving, starving the cancer. Would that be a fair yeah. appraisal? A- absolutely. So the sugar, your blood sugar, and that can come go up from any carbs. It's not just white sugar kind of mm-hmm. people think, but when the blood sugar is elevated, you're, you have more of the fuel for the cancer. And this is something that Otto Warburg got the Nobel Prize for in, I think, 1931, where he showed that the defining factor of cancer was that the mitochondria are burning fuel differently. And that instead of the oxygen, they're, they're anaerobic and they're burning glucose at crazy rates. And that's why they have to create whole new blood supplies to the tumor to get more blood so they can get more glucose so they can continue to grow so fast. I was just going to say that same thing. I work in healthcare and that's what we see with tumors. They're very, very vascular. And so if you think about, you know, the more sugar you're eating, the more blood flow you have there, the more sugar is going right to that spot. And like when you have a PET CT scan, the radionuclide is paired with a glucose because they want the tumor to uptake that radionuclide so they could see it. So uh, it's all sugar. Which is so crazy, Sherry, because that's exactly, you know, they know that in conventional medicine, that's what they're, the technology, that's right. what they're using. And yet you go to the chemo labs and they're saying, here, have some cookies and juice. Uh-huh. <laughs> when you know in the research that it's actually super beneficial to be in a ketogenic state so that the actual tumor will uptake more chemotherapy when it comes in. It's it's very effective, but they don't so that that makes sense. That explains because we've heard, of course, about the research with fasting and chemo, that fasting is is helpful for someone going through chemo. And that makes sense why. Exactly. 
Yeah. yeah. Fasting is incredibly powerful and they're not using it. I don't know. In my head, I'm thinking like you can only saturate something with so much. So if your cells are saturated with glucose, is it uptaking the chemotherapy? Like, so maybe the fact that you're starving the cells from the glucose, maybe that's why it makes chemotherapy more effective. I don't know. That's just all what's happening in my head. But yeah, it's, it's really interesting. And then with, with cancer specifically, once the person not only gets, it's not just getting the blood sugar in range, because you can get there without, you know, getting the ketones and being in ketosis, um, but actually getting into ketosis, not just a nutritional ketosis, but a therapeutic ketosis actually has a therapeutic effect in and of itself. So you kind of want both. Um, those ketones can cross the blood brain barrier and, you know, they light up our brain, which is fun, but they also have that really positive effect on cancer as well. So you're a nutritionist, right? Yeah. What do you say to the people? Okay. Like me, we'll say like me, <laughs> I I, so I switched to keto. I have really unstable blood sugar control. Like not, I don't spike. I'm, I stay pretty consistent. I can eat whatever and I might go up 20 points, but then I, I'm, I'm pretty hypoglycemic after I eat. And so <clears throat> I wore a CGM for a couple months and I was really playing with my diet and, you know, how much fat, how much protein, whatever to try to keep things balanced. And, um, during that time I did it for about four months. Then I went in and, you know, saw my family doctor and he's like, we well, haven't had your cholesterol checked in two years. Cause I keep telling him, no, I don't want it. It's sky high. And I know it's because I was eating keto. I mean, my LDL was like crazy. And of course my doctor immediately wants to put me on statins and I'm like, no. <laughs> Good. Um, so then I'm like, okay, I probably shouldn't eat like that. Cause I also don't want to have a heart attack. <laughs> what? I mean, like, I don't even know what to do anymore with all that information. What oh, is your experience? Yes. So that is, there's a whole bunch there. First off, um, cholesterol is not the best way to look at your risk for heart attack or heart disease. You know, the apolipoprotein ratios um, and the HSCRP are much better indicators, but they're not as cheap. So right. that's not what insurance runs. Yep. The other thing that is huge is that, you know, high cholesterol markers are not just indicative of heart disease. There's a lot of other things. So it can be a bad diet, which I'm guessing is not your issue. But for me, the big shocker is that it can be hypothyroid, which is massively underdiagnosed and undertreated, um, especially with women, um, especially women that have had babies and such. It, it can get really off, especially if there's some Hashimoto's, which you know, there's there's so much there. So, you know, I would say, yeah, look at the diet, but also run some thyroid the system, yeah, the whole yeah. thing. And one of the big things that I have personally struggled with is that the blood sugar, when it's not stabilized, it's not always just the diet. It can be yeah. the uh, cortisol, you know, the adrenal stress functions. But what else I found, this was the massive marker for me, was that mold can screw up your blood sugar big time. Well, I, I didn't know that. Wow. Yes. That's interesting. Yes. I'm very mold sensitive. Are you? Okay. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, you know, then I would say, you know, doing a mold test, seeing what your levels are, you know, seeing what your house and living space and workspace are giving you um, and dealing with that can clear out the mold 
And then a lot of times it'll go back into a nice place. But mold is like the massive blocker of anything, that, especially hormonal, whether it's sex hormones, thyroid hormones, you know, insulin hormone, that kind of thing. It'll just screw them up. Wow. wow. I had no idea. That is yeah, I know, like mold bad. We know that. <laughs> it's really bad. It's like the Antichrist. It's terrible. And it's just not talked about enough. That was the weekly or the big thing for me that tipped everything off because looking back, we had moved into a house that had black mold that we found. And my husband took it out to the studs himself, no masks. You know, I was sitting on the porch for like a month well before we got rid of it. We didn't realize how bad it was. Um, and that was eight months before I found the tumor. You know, so I mean, it was, and it, it was a known carcinogenic black mold, ochre toxin A, all that nasty does, stuff. Does your body hold on to that? It does, depending on the person. So the other thing for me is like with my genetics, I massively suck at detoxification. So for me, HFR, yeah, I got all the good stuff. (laughs) So, you know, granted there was the the fact that I was, I just had five babies and, you know, I was already depleted, but then I had the genetics working against me. It's really interesting as a case study to look at my family because my husband was fine. His genetics, he's an all-star with detox. And you can see in my kids, out of seven kids, two had mold symptoms. Okay. The rest have not. So it's not always like everybody gets sick, um, like people would expect. Yeah, see, right. I have always assumed that if, if you were having mold problems, it would feel like an allergic reaction and it would just be like sneezing or your eyes would itch. I had no idea that it was more. Well, it does. But I think it's deeper than that. Yeah. But I just assumed that would be the, it. like, if you weren't having allergies, it was okay. I didn't realize it was. The house I lived in before this one had a mold problem. And it's one of the reasons that we moved. Mm -hmm. And I actually did like your husband. I remediated the mold problem. It was a rental and my landlord wouldn't take care of it. And I'm in there cleaning mold out of the rafters of the basement and having the worst asthma attacks of my life. And my husband was sick the whole time we lived there. Wow. Not only like respiratory sick, but like mental illness sick. And we moved out of there, moved to this house. And I don't think we have any mold problems whatsoever in this house, but it makes me wonder if there's lingering effects um, from that. That's so fascinating. Yeah. So I get clients all the time that have moved out of a place They've got some chronic health issues. We test it and it's still in them. It's, the mold spores will stay in you. And even if you're out of the place, you may or may not be able to get rid of them yourself. Wow. Some people can, some people can't. So what but do it, you doesn't, do? it doesn't have to have symptoms. Um, yeah. I didn't have any symptoms besides obviously getting cancer, um, but I've had multiple clients that have had no symptoms that have been testing for other reasons and found it. What do you do? Like, how do you test and know for one thing? Because I bet there's a lot of people thinking, oh my gosh, maybe that's what's wrong with me. Cause you know, I imagine it can lead right. to all sorts of things like unexplained weight gain, inability to yes. lose weight, you know, cause that's, you know, I'm in the, the weight loss world with intermittent fasting. Of course, intermittent fasting is the health plan with the side effect of weight loss. It doesn't, you know, <laughs> there are a lot of factors that go into what your weight is doing, not just, you know, whether you're fasting or not, right. but a lot of people struggle with stubborn weight gain or they can't lose the weight. And so they might be thinking maybe it's mold. Maybe that that's a factor. How do people know? And then what do they do? That's a great question, Jen. So to determine it, it's just a simple P test. This is like the easiest test. You just collect a first morning sample and mail it in. No big deal. 
um, which is nice because it's non-invasive, especially if you want to test children and things like that. No big deal. Um, in terms of addressing it, um, first off, you have to get out of the mold. It's yeah. not worth your time and energy if you're still in the mold, which is why I get so right. excited to say you already moved. Yes. But, you know, so getting the remediation done, all that stuff before you even start. Now, once you've got that done, you'll look at the different strains that showed up and different binders have been shown to be more effective with specific strains. So you'd want to create a protocol and the protocols are big because the body, if it's still holding on to it, it's not really happy. So you've got to support the body and make sure that it's ready to do the detox. You know, it's nutritionally shored up. Things are working well. The elimination paths are open, which is a nice way of saying you're pooping every day. Um, and then there's a whole bunch of different supplements, but you'll want to kill the yeast. So antifungal diet, antifungal protocols. I have found um, that infrared saunas are incredibly helpful and just like magnify the results like exponentially. Um, I also do coffee enemas with a lot of my clients if they can get over the weird factor. It's a cheap and easy way to get a whole lot of things, including the uptake of or the production of glutathione raises mm -hmm. and the dropping of the toxins in the bile and such. Um, so there's, there's the whole protocol. The average is about nine months if someone is really sick from it to get rid of it. So it's a, it's a long, hard process. But like you said, I mean, not only is it important with weight loss, weight gain kind of issues, but like I said, the whole hormones. So when people are having crazy sex hormone, bad periods when um, their blood sugars just won't go down. I'm going to look bigger and farther. Like, like I said, cancer is driven by this. This is one of the big ones. But for me, my dad and my father-in-law both have very bad progressed Alzheimer's and mold is a huge driver of Alzheimer's. Wow. Talking about right. yeah, people don't care what they're like in their eighties. It doesn't motivate them to do stuff today. But to me, like, that's what I care about. I want my brain to be sharp as a tack when I'm 80. Right. Well, that's yeah. fascinating because I, I bet a lot of people are walking around with this issue and a regular doctor, your, you know, your GP, they're not, not looking like, for this. How's the mold? Right. They're not going to even know to look. I'm going to go even farther. They will dispute it and say it, it's not it's made up. Yes. That sounds like the thing that right. a doctor, and I'm not bashing doctors. There are some amazing doctors out there and I know a lot of, of amazing doctors, but I can imagine a standard mm -hmm. You know, GP who is, you know, working what they were taught in med school saying, no, that's ridiculous. That is not your problem. Right. Which is yeah. interesting because literally in the Bible, there's a whole chapter in Leviticus about how bad mold is and how to really? avoid it, get rid of it. Yeah. And we kind of ignore it. But if you look at our, you know, American houses, the drywall is the perfect substrate to grow mold on. And then we put behind it, the moisture barriers. <laughs> well, we, hold we, it. we don't put moisture barriers in there. We just put the pipes okay. that can leak. And then we can't. Yes. Yeah. And it's growing and the mold spores are so tiny that they can pass through the drywall fine and be in the air. And we can't see that they're there. So clients will be like, I don't have it. I can't see it. I'm like, you don't have to see it. It can be behind your drywall and it will go through the drywall into your nose and you know get into your body. So oh can we, gosh. let's pivot from mold yeah. and let's go back to cancer. How much does stress affect cancer? 
That's a great question. So there are 10 what we call terrain drivers that Dr. Nasha Winters, who I work with and am trained under, has identified and discusses in her book, Metabolic Approach to Cancer. And of those 10, stress is one of them. It's a whole terrain. Yeah. So that, that goes with the adrenal hormones, but you know, it's talking about like your whole circadian rhythm, as well as all the things that stress you out, which can, I mean, that's a huge topic for people and looks different for each person. Well, I mean, we talk about the fact that cancer is more prevalent than ever, mm-hmm. but we also live in a more stressed world than ever. Yes. And I can't help but think that, I mean, there's so many factors. We have more processed foods. There's more sugar. There's more, you know, inflammatory seed oils. Toxins there's everywhere. more toxins everywhere. Yeah. But we also have more stress than ever. And it seems like our lifestyle is creating the perfect storm for cancer. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The toxins have their own terrain bucket because, and there's so many of those. Those are one of the biggest ones. And it's, it's a matter of what else, you know, when you're looking there. Um, but it's not just our everyday life. So like you mentioned all the food and toxins and the stress politically in the world and, you know, stress in your family and everything, but the stress of the actual diagnosis and the stress of the process of going through treatment and figuring things out, our standard of care exacerbates this hugely and making the whole thing scary as all get out. And the question I want to ask is why can't we like find out what our root cause drivers are and address them and educate ourselves, you know, while we're sitting by the pool, having a non-toxic pedicure, drinking an adaptogenic drink. Like, why does it have to be stressful? Why do we have to be scared out of our pants? Um, Can't we make this a relaxed, yet still taking things seriously, you know, without the fear and the, the stress? Right. It'd be like if you have a roach problem in your house and you just keep catching the roaches, you're not really taking care of your roach problem, right? You got to find a source of it and eliminate it. Yeah. So our standard medical system, and again, there's a time and a place, so I'm not bashing it. Um, I'm not, I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, but for a lot of people, it's not necessarily the best option, but what their focus is, their philosophy is kill the tumor. It's all about the tumor. It's a very tumor-centric approach. That's all they look at. For example, well, so so my, my approach is very different. I'm looking at why was the tumor allowed to get out of control? Because our immune system has mechanisms to address and be watching for tumor cells, not the actual tumor. You know, so it should be caught earlier. So, you know, why in the world, you know, would you want to just address the tumor and not address the root issue? That's the big thing. And we need to really step back and focus on that because when you are done, you're in remission, the tumor is gone. Is it really gone? Have you addressed the issue of why this happened? And and we're leaving people in this fear stress zone of like the rest of their life. They have this black cloud over their head of, is it going to come back? Well, and then more so than that, what I have noticed more and more is people are recovering from a cancer that they had perhaps in their forties. And then 10 years later, they're being diagnosed with a whole different kind of cancer. But it's not actually cancer, right? I mean, sometimes it is, but under biopsy, it's different. You know what I'm saying? Yes. But didn't address the root issue. Is it really not the same thing manifesting? Presenting differently. differently. Exactly. 
Yeah. So here's an example. So with the hormones, um, if you have somebody that's got a breast cancer, you know, we know that usually that's hormone driven and they test and it's like, oh, it's uh, HER2 positive, you know, whatever. I have never yet had a client come to me with a diagnosis that the doctor tested the female's hormones. Not even in blood, which is like the worst way to test your hormones. They're looking at the tumor and how it uptakes the hormones, but they're not looking at the female's hormones. And I have seen things so insane where they're like through the roof and their estrogen, they're not even addressing it. Wow. And how, how are you testing them if not through blood? Um, I use the Dutch test, which is urine. And that way you can also see the metabolites of how the body is breaking the estrogen down to get it rid of it and such. Yeah. But it's so important because if the estrogen is all messed up, which for me it was, I need to get that under control. And, and then let's look at why was it so messed up, which goes back and for to you. It was mold, right? That it could be so many other things. So yes. fascinating. So you're looking for the root cause, you know, for you, it, it, it seems to have been the mold. What are some of the root causes that, that you, you identify Yeah. So the way that I I term it is, you know, there's the 10 terrain and I'm looking for how many of those terrain, which ones are your issues for the client. Usually it's not one. Everybody wants that one magic bullet. What's the thing? Give me the the thing. And it does not exist. But usually for cancer clients, there's like six to eight of those areas that are messed up. And that can look very different depending on the person. So it's not a one size fits all. It's very tailored to not only which terrain are off for you, but then within the terrain area, you know, you might have something like toxins and you can have like mold or, you know, benzene or phthalates or, you know, different things, um, you know, heavy metals and, and all sorts of things that can be off. And you would have different protocols and supplements and recommendations based on that. Now, does the Dutch test give you all of that information? I just keep hearing more and more about it. And somebody recommended that I do it like a year ago and I have not done so. Um, Does it give you, I mean, is it pretty much a broad spectrum? It's going to tell you all of that or are there a bunch of different tests that you do? Yeah. So the Dutch test, there's several of them. You can get just the adrenals or you can get the adrenals and the sex hormones. And uh, for my younger clients, I'll do the cycling um, sex hormone version of it. So there's several different versions. And what it's going to do is show the hormone levels, as well as if you're doing the sex hormones, how those estrogens and such are breaking down. Um, It also has a a little bit of organic acids on there. Um, So it's got a lot of markers that can give you a lot of information on it, but it's not, it's not everything. I was thinking it had something to do with your gut as well. Does it not? You no, not really. Not on there. For that, I would look at a a GI map stool test. Okay. Okay. And so this is all different stuff that you offer to your clients. Yes. So if I came to you and I said, I don't have cancer and I never want it. (laughs) Let let's, let's take a big picture look at my health and where I'm at and what I need to do. Is that something that you do for your clients? Absolutely. Yeah, that's the ideal situation right. because it's so much easier to deal with it when it's not a big hairy mess. And like I said, there's not the fear and, you know, oh my goodness, I need to do this yesterday, kind of going into it and pressure from outside people. And it's just so much more relaxed, easy to deal with um, and not as intense. So um, I work with clients that are like before cancer, during cancer. Some of my clients work integratively 
Um, a lot of them want to be completely outside the system. And then a lot of my clients will have done standard of care, gotten in remission, and then they're like, okay, at this point, I read enough, like during the cancering process, but I understand the difference and I want to do the functional work because I know that what I did didn't address that. Right. But now I'm not scared. I'm not under the gun. I, you know, I don't have the time constraints, so I feel more flexible. And so we can we can do this work in any of those point. situations. Yeah. And it's it's always going to be beneficial to find those issues with the the terrain drivers, so you can correct as many of them as possible. Exactly. And I'll just be honest, whether it's cancer or Alzheimer's, these tests are going to show where you're off because different people will manifest it differently. I may manifest it as cancer. Somebody else may manifest it as heart disease. Somebody else may manifest it as Alzheimer's. And it's going to have, you know, whenever you optimize the body, I don't cure cancer. When I help you optimize the body, your body does the right. I think that's, and that's, that's a huge cool. distinction, right? Because, and that, that's where functional medicine really comes in in general as, as a, as a field is knowing how powerful our bodies are yes. and how we can encourage our bodies to do what they're, they're meant to do. And also all the things we do wrong that mess up what our bodies are trying to do. <laughs> well, and if one system gets out of whack, all the systems get yeah. out of whack. And uh-huh. you know, it's, it, we, Jen and I talk a lot about metabolic health. I don't know that I've ever considered that cancer could be a metabolic disease until like just now. Oh, I'm so like, I I don't know why I've never thought of that, but it's inflammation and it's um, driven by glucose and it's absolutely metabolic. Yeah, it is. It really is. And it's not talked about. I think people like Dr. Nasha Winters and Dr. Thomas Siegfried and stuff are getting the word out there more, but you know, cancer is a metabolic disease. Heart disease is a metabolic disease. Mm-hmm. Diabetes, people get that one. But Alzheimer's, you know, they're even calling that type three diabetes now. That's a metabolic disease too. And I think we really need to understand, this is something I hammered home in my book that, you know, the blood sugar dysregulation is kind of laying the framework for any chronic disease that it's like the base. And then, you know, how it pops up for you depends on your specific genetics and such, your predispositions. Would it be safe to say that uh, managing blood glucose and figuring out if you have unstable blood glucose, how to get that stabilized would be the first step to better health for everybody? I, would, I love that. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, and it, the hardest part about this is that people don't feel bad when their blood sugar's high. Think about it. You've got lots of extra energy running around. You feel good. I mean, if there's some hypoglycemia where they're, that's when you get hangry and yucky feeling and people acknowledge that, but it's way worse if it's high in terms of long-term health. And, you know, the only hormone that brings it down is insulin versus if you look at the hormones, there's a whole host of them, you know, probably I think there's like four or five I can think of that its prime function is to bring it down, but there's several others that it's a secondary function to bring it up. So the body is prioritizing bringing it up versus bringing it down. And so when we are, I mean, it's only been the last 200 years that we have had the ability to eat these foods that raise it so crazy high that the processed sugars, the processed flours and stuff, yeah. it wasn't around. And right. now- yeah. 
it's being shoveled at us faster than we can handle in so many ways, especially the liquid stuff that you can just guzzle down. And it's, it's epidemic that people are just chronically high and, and feeling good. So they're it's, not going to go do anything. It's crazy that you say that. It's so funny to me how many patients I had a, I work in the ER and this patient told me the other day, I really need somebody to bring me a soda because I can feel my blood sugar crashing. Her uh, point <laughs> of care bedside blood glucose was 210. Oh my gosh. What? I'm like, your blood sugar is not crashing. And I'm thinking, and if you feel like it's crashing at 210, like how high is it normally? Right. <laughs> like, wow. But, yeah, that, that is really scary. Everybody needs to just get a continuous glucose monitor just issued to them. <laughs> Wear it around. We all need one. <laughs> oh, they're fantastic to see some of this stuff. And what I use it for with my clients a lot is for the other things, the things that are not diet. So they've got their diet dialed in. They're doing lovely ketosis diet, but they're not getting into ketosis. And, you know, I'm like, well, what else is it? Like there, is it stress? You know, are there some weird food sensitivities that are driving them up when you eat those foods? Is it mold? You know, what is going on? Because it's not always diet and it's really hard sometimes to figure out what it is without some of those awesome tools that we have nowadays. Do you use a tool to measure ketosis? Yeah, I love the Keto Mojo. So the Keto Mojo, you can do the blood sugar and the ketos, ketones, um, and it's nice, um, but you, you can't see the ketones in something continuous, which is, hopefully they'll get that, right? Uh, yes. Finger sticking is not my favorite thing. No. Oh my gosh. I do it for like three or four months because I have like a serious issue with needles and my mom kind of yelled at me. She's like, this doesn't hurt. And I'm like, Oh, and I didn't realize they had ones that have the dial that you can dial down the, how hard it's. Right. I'm like, oh, okay, I'm being a whip. I can do that. <laughs> yeah, I don't like sticking my fingers either. You can put on a CGM on the back of my arm, no problem, but. Okay. So with that, <laughs> I, I tricked my daughter into doing, it. I'm like, here, can you, can you smack this thing real hard? She knows what's going to do. And she's like, what are you going to do? And I'm like, sorry, I tricked you. <laughs> I should put it on you. Yeah, I was just holding it there and she was, she made her smack it. <laughs> because the first time. It is hard to put on it. yourself. Yeah. The first time and you don't know what's going to happen. And yeah. oh, wait, that didn't hurt at all. I can do that. Yeah, it doesn't <laughs> hurt at all. But the hardest part of is peeling it off with the adhesive. Like I had like a CGM hickey on the back of my arm. That's the only bad part. Yeah. The noise gets me every time. I wish it wasn't so loud, but. Yeah. Yeah. So what should people do right this minute? So people who want to maximize their health, keep themselves from getting cancer, just a, you know, a few quick things they could do. I know that's a, a big question. No, I think it's a great question. I mean, I think the easy low hanging fruit would be to listen to y'all's podcast and go on and do some intermittent fasting. Yeah. Um, assuming there's no hypoglycemia and stuff going on, but, you know, going to a low insulin diet. And I, I say that intentionally because it's not really about the carbs. It's not really, you know, about getting into ketosis for everybody, you know, getting the insulin down is what you want to yes. focus on. Testing fasting insulin is powerful. We are big mm-hmm. proponents of testing your fasting insulin level. And I see it crazy high, even when the glucose is normal and stuff quite often, which is what people don't understand is that insulin is really hard on the body yeah. and diabetics will attest to this. But, you know, any of them, get it down. And it's so much healthier and easier for the body to process things. Have you read Why We Get Sick, Benjamin Bickman? 
I think so. It's been a while. It's all, it's all about insulin and, and he's an, an expert on high insulin in the body and what it will do. And he connects it to like everything, like high yep. levels of insulin are just not good for so many reasons. And he explains why in that book, it's a very powerful book because we've been looking at the wrong thing. Like you said, yep. you can have normal blood sugar, normal A1C and your insulin is sky high. Your body's still able to keep your blood sugar low, but that's, that's, that's a sign that you're on the wrong track. Eventually your body is going to no longer be able to keep your blood sugar in control. Exactly. And I'm hoping soon they come out with a, instead of a glucometer, an at-home insulin tester, oh because God, a lot yes. of times the first morning insulin can get kind of messed up by different factors, but see, being able to see that specifically, not just the glucose would be a lot more powerful. I would love to be able to see what, what was happening with insulin all day long. I'm also very curious about what the range might be and how it fluctuates. You know, I, I don't know, like just in the fasted state. Like what, what, a, like we know what, what ideal would be, but how much does it vary? I don't know. Like that, yeah, the fasted state, that would be super cool to see because it, it should get nice and low, which is what we lower. want. Yeah, it should. But just like we know from wearing a CGM that blood sugar is incredibly variable. Like we, we didn't realize how much it really varies from moment to moment. Yeah. That I, I would, I would suspect insulin varies maybe more than we think just naturally. So it's, and then yeah. when you get that fasting insulin test, it's just one little snapshot. So you might've hit it at a low or at a high or somewhere in the middle. And I just don't know anyway. Exactly. That's a huge question that we need to answer. And nobody's doing enough insulin testing. You know, people just do the morning fasted and you don't get to see that information to know all that. And I hope that like the industry is looking at doing this because it's so important because the blood sugar is not the direct end mm-hmm. what we're looking for. Yeah, yeah, I would love to be able to test insulin at home. I'd be sticking my finger like crazy. <laughs> so if a person reaches out to you and we'll have your websites on um, the show notes, um, what what can they expect? What What's the process when they reach out to you? Yeah, so my package, my signature cancer freedom package is a year-long process where we get to find with the functional testing what the root direct root cause drivers, those terrain areas that I mentioned are for each person. Um, So we're doing all the testing and we're going to go over and look at them in conjunction with each other, create protocols, and then work alongside the person to make sure that they get what they need to bring themselves back into, you know, whether they're cancering or not, you know, into optimal health. And I noticed you have some mini courses as well. Is that right? Yeah. So I have, um, several courses. They're not cancer specific. Um, they're more about the different function of the body. So you had an adrenal one. Did you have adrenal one? Yeah, I have an endocrine one. That's got the adrenals and the sex hormones and the thyroid. Mm -hmm. I've got a detox one, a a gut one, a blood sugar one, you know, all sorts of different areas. Yeah. We're working on a cancer specific one now. All right. Awesome. Well, Well, knowledge is power. I always say that. And I know cancer is one of those topics that no one wants to think about, but we're, you know, before you get the diagnosis is when you want to make some changes in your body. Yeah. So thank you for mm-hmm. all that you have taught us today. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you guys. And now it's time for our listener led lesson. And today's listener led lesson comes from Aretta from Atlanta, Georgia. She says, when someone is in the hospital to whom I want to send flowers, I call the hospital gift shop to place an order. The shop has an array of beautiful flower arrangements at special price points, and they deliver for free the same day. That is such a good tip. 
Like maybe everybody already knew that, but I didn't know. I would never have thought. I would never have thought to do that. Yeah. That is a fabulous tip. Well, at the end of each show, we love to close out the show with a motivational quote from a listener. And today's quote comes from Char. She said, this quote by Light Watkins reminds me to follow my heart and let it guide me, not a set of arbitrary rules or believing that I'm too old to try something new or worrying what others will think. The quote is, the advice should not be to act your age. It should be to act your spirit. Your age may try to prohibit you from dancing like that or starting over or trying something new, but your spirit would never do such a thing. If something feels aligned, your spirit wants you to go for it, whether you're 15 or 85, act their age, but in an inspiring way to those who act their spirit. Try acting your spirit from time to time, and you can see for yourself which path makes you feel more alive. I love that. I love that too. Thank you so much for joining us today. We would love to have you join us in the private Life Lessons VIP community. Go to lifelessonscommunity.com slash VIP to become a VIP podcast supporter. Your membership ensures that we can keep bringing you episodes of the Life Lessons podcast each week. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. And if you haven't already, please leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcast app. Reviews really do help us reach new listeners. We're a community-driven podcast, and here's how you can be a part of our show each week. Do you have a story to share for our good news segment, a listener-led lesson, or a motivational quote that means something to you? Or do you have an area of expertise that you would like to share as our featured guest for the week as we present our weekly life lesson? Email us at connect at lifelessonscommunity.com or use the link in show notes and then listen each week to hear your story or tip. Until next week, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.